Today we have PJ Kaminer on the podcast, and he's going to tell us all about multifamily syndications in Texas and why they are very bullish on the 35 corridor, how they're underwriting here today to make sure that they have successful deals over the long run, and what you should look out for if you're looking to invest in a multifamily syndication right now. This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I've got PJ Kaminer on here, and he's going to tell us all about his experience investing in real estate in Texas, in the Austin area, and what he's doing to be successful here today. Hey, PJ, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Could you tell us, tell our guests who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, um, moved to Austin in 2009 to go to UT and study finance. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to be a trader and work on Wall Street and get rich quick and do all that stuff. Um, and I worked, um, I studied finance and, and, and did a big internship and translated into a job at JP Morgan in Houston, trading oil, gas and power. Um, and I just hated it. You know, it was ultra quantitative and um, the people who were in it, it was just competitive. The hours sucked. And I wanted to just do something that was much more social, personable, relationship based and an asset that I really understood, not just you know trade derivatives and had a lot of uh, friends and family and people encouraged me to get into commercial real estate. And so um, when I graduated, I took the plunge, um, stayed in Austin, started working as a commercial broker. Um, I was I was leasing shopping centers. I was selling small pieces of land. I was I was really working on any type of commercial transaction in Austin I could get my hands on. Um, and at that time, you know, I was working for a big big brokerage shop who had a lot of investment and development opportunities that I um, was able to put small amounts of money in as an LP. Um, just for being in the room and in the right place at the right time. And so I started my investing career, um, totally jumped over, never bought a house, never did anything myself. I mean, I was just putting in, you know, really? 5,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks, whenever I could uh, kind of afford, uh, you know, into uh, shopping center deals and development deals. Um, and so that's how I kind of got started. Um, and I started, you know, as, as time went on, I kind of developed some some expertise and some things that I like to do and and types of deals I like to spend time on um and and, and that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years so started out as a broker moved away from the brokerage and, and now I'm a full-time um investor uh mostly focused on multifamily and we are raising capital and buying value add multifamily deals across Texas um, in the DFW market, in, in the Austin market, in, in San Antonio. Uh, and that's who I am. That's what I'm doing. Awesome. So you, you used a, a piece of terminology there I want to clear up before we start. So the LP, can you describe to our listeners what an LP is? Sure. Yeah. So so in, in any kind of transaction, but specifically in 
you know, a private real estate transaction, uh, a lot of these deals are structured um, legally as LPs. And, you know, within these deals, there's um, GPs, which is a general partner, and there's LPs who are the limited partners who contribute capital, but have no, you know, decision-making power and no, no responsibilities in the deal. And so um, it, it's really the difference between an active investor and a passive investor. The passive investor is that LP, um, you know, the, the GP, the general partner typically is taking, you know, some greater level of return, but also taking some greater level of risk and responsibility for, for managing the deal. Ooh, so yeah. it's a long way of saying I was able to put a little bit money in, uh, as a young guy and not have to do anything, um, and, uh, collect some return for, for investing in deals with, with smart people that I liked. And I think as I think about my real estate investing journey, and we can talk more about it. One of the big, big themes and one of my biggest pieces of advice for people who are just getting started is, is partners and mentors um, and coaches really being the key to this all working. And so um, my, my philosophy early on was find people that I thought were really smart and making a lot of money and doing the right kinds of deals and be their buddy and help them in any way that I could so that I could not only be a fly on the wall and learn what they do, mm-hmm. but also, you know, put a little bit of money in their deals when, when I was able to. So. Awesome. No, I love that. I, I like passive investing. So I think it, it's a, it's something that really interests me, but I want to, I want to be able to educate our listeners that there are so many different ways to invest in real estate. And, I, you know, they hear these LP, GP, all these terms and, I think everybody wants to be the GP, but you talked about it there. The GP takes on more risk and they do a lot more work. The LP really doesn't do any work. You just find the right GP. Obviously you wanna do some due diligence. Obviously you wanna analyze the deal and make sure it's a good deal because you don't wanna just trust anybody. They're gonna put a good deal together. But once, once you've done that and you've invested your money, your work as an LP is really done. Your work as a GP is kind of just getting started. Totally. Totally. And I, and I think there's, there's two kinds of LPs that I come across. One is the, is the newer investor who um, uses the LP role as a um, gateway drug, if you will, to get in the deal and learn. And I think that's completely, uh, I, I think that's a great way to go. If that's your goal to become you know, a general partner and to put deals together for yourself, I highly encourage you to do um, some passive investing as an LP first be in the room to, to see the way the GPs navigate, to, to understand the reporting. Um, you know, you, you get a, you get a tremendous amount of, of experience just by putting some money in and watching the deal happen. Um, so that, that's one group, but there's a whole other group of really successful investors who, um, they could be doctors, they could run a small business, they could do a number of things. They never want to be the GP. Yeah. And they want to write checks and, and, you know, make return as an alternative to investing in the stock market or something like that. And um, they make a lot of money doing it without the, you know, without the intention of ever being a GP. And, and I think um, those guys are a um, great example. You can make a lot of money with, without having to, um, to ever take on that risk and responsibility if that's not something that you have the time or interest in. And I think it's harder to see those people. I know some of them because I, I, I happened upon them. I met met some people who did really well as LPs 
before I even started investing in real estate. And initially they said, oh, I invest in real estate. I'm thinking houses or duplexes or whatever. And, and I got to know them better. And they said, no, I, I don't do any of the work. I'm just giving these people the money and they're doing all the work. And I, I later learned what an LP was, but I realized these people were LPs and they were extremely successful. But I think you don't go to XYZ conference and see an extremely successful LP on stage very often because they don't want to be there. They have no reason to do that. They don't make any money off it. They're not gaining any sort of credibility for it. They, they make money off investing their money successfully and they want to do what they want to do. So the most successful LP I know treats his job as planning his vacations. Yeah. Right. And, and I think, I think this is, um, we're in a really interesting time for, for private placements in the old days. This was the old boys network, right? This, these were the kind of deals that happened at the country club Mm -hmm. where, you know, someone put the deal together, you know, a bunch of rich guys wrote them $50,000 checks and, um, they made money that way. Um, now, you know, you're seeing a lot of people talk about, um, syndications and, and market this as something that can be done for the everyday person. And it absolutely can. Um, and, and it's being done, you know, at a democratized, in a democratized way now. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I think to your point, those LPs, they're not out there bragging about how much they're investing in real estate. They're just doing it and they're getting, um, they're getting return capital to do it. And I, and I think, um, you know, the, the key to this is, uh, the right operator. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's plenty of people raising capital who don't have the experience or the temperament to be raising capital. And there's going to be plenty of people who, whose, whose deals don't work out the way it looked in the pro forma. Um, so I think deciding who you invest with as an LP is, is a huge, um, is a huge key. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that, I think that's the biggest thing I look at when I'm looking to invest passively is who is this person? How well do I know them? How well am I confident that they are going to perform on what they say they're going to do? The best, the best GPs I see that I've invested with, you know, they say, Hey, we're, we're aiming for this 7% return, or we're going to double your money in five or six years. But then you look at their underwriting and you say, this is, this might be a triple, you know, but they're, they're only saying we're only going to do this much. They're being conservative with their projections. And that makes me feel comfortable as an LP that somebody's being very realistic with rent growth and very realistic with their business plan of, and I'm not going to try to hit a home run here. I'm just going to hit a base hit. Yeah, totally. And it, it, it's amazing how, how much different the deal looks on paper when you adjust something as small as an exit cap rate, right? That mm -hmm. rate of return that you're assuming you're going to sell the property for in year five or whenever you're projecting your exit. It's unbelievable how much different the deal looks if you move that number from a 4.75 percent cap rate to a five cap rate, right? Like just that little number, which look, we have no control over it. I have absolutely no idea what cap rates are going to be in 2027, yeah. but, um, I can make an assumption today that I think is worst case scenario, mm -hmm. build that into the deal so that the LPs, like you said, don't expect, um, an absolute home run and, and, you know, look, if I tell you, I'm going to double your money and I double your money, you're moderately happy. If I tell you I'm going to triple your money and I double your money, you're kind of pissed at me. 
And so just that little, that little difference, um, you know, it's, it's the old under promise and over deliver kind of mantra. And I think it, um, it makes a big difference in, in the type of investor you attract. Absolutely. So let's talk about real quick, you know, you invest Dallas through San Antonio. Why target that area, you know, down the 35 corridor from Dallas to San Antonio? I think I know the answer, but why would you invest in that area? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Yeah. So I think Texas as a whole, right. Being a, a business friendly climate, you know, we're sitting here in September of 2022 um, for the last, you know, really five to 10 years, Texas has just attracted a ton of employment from the coasts, a ton of net in migration um, from folks looking to get a, a lot of bang for their buck, right. They're, they're, they're able to live really comfortably down here. There's no state income tax. There's a whole host of reasons why Texas as a whole has been attractive. Um, my real uh, strong suit, I would say, kind of comes in regionally between you know Austin and San Antonio. Uh, my my two partners sit in Dallas, and and they really drive that boat, and and I I get to um, I get to ride that wave with them and believe in that market. But but here in Central Texas, um, Austin has just been such a magnet for for a long time, and I think it used to be an old hippie college town. It, it attracted some really interesting employment a long time ago, right? Dell and Round Rock, um, you know, a number of other major employers. And today, you know, it's really become a tech hub. And we've pulled, we've been able to pull to Austin a lot of talent from, from California specifically. Yeah. That has, you know, doubled the size of Austin over not that long a, a period of time. And what you're starting to see is all of the submarkets in and around um, Austin benefit from that growth. So that's why when I talk about the I-35 corridor, I'm really talking about Georgetown as the north end. And, and I think you could make the case that even north of Georgetown is now starting to, to happen mm-hmm. all the way down through San Antonio. So um, New Braunfels, San Marcos, Kyle, Buda, um, those markets, uh, I believe personally that, that the I-35 corridor between Austin and San Antonio is going to fill in completely. And in 10 to 20 years, we're going to look back on it and it's going to feel much more like DFW feels today. It's going to be a single metroplex um, built of, of uh, a ton of people. I mean, Austin is a couple million people today. San Antonio is a couple million people. I'm looking at projections that, you know, the Austin to San Antonio corridor by the year 2030 is going to have 7 million people. Um, I mean, that's the size of, that's the size of Dallas. And so, um, it's, it's a long way of saying there's a ton of people moving here. There's a lot of jobs moving here. And so for the type of investments we focus on, which is class B, um, workforce multifamily, um, there's a ton of people getting priced out of Austin. There's a, there's a lot of working class, um, people and families who, um, even in in the, the what used to be the affordable neighborhoods in Austin, they can't afford to to buy a house. They can't afford to rent an apartment, um, and so they're looking to places um, like Lockhart, like Kyle, like San Marcos, like Buda, like all these smaller markets, and then down into San Antonio as well as as significantly more affordable places with high quality of life. They can still raise their family the way they want to. 
they can still get that house or whatever. And so that, that, that's what attracts us to, to the region as a whole. And I think you have, you have highly educated, um, upwardly mobile middle class here that's been able to, to take employment in, in tech jobs and manufacturing jobs. Um, and, and that, that growth doesn't seem to be slowing. No, not at all. There's so much that's still going on here. People, there's been as many new announcements of major businesses moving here. But I think what people forget is those businesses just started building their, their facilities. So places like Samsung, that just started building that facility. And then out in Lockhart, you mentioned Lockhart. Lockhart, Lockhart has had a couple big announcements in the last couple of weeks. We're recording this late September 2020. They've had two or three large businesses announced moving to Lockhart in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so that that's not going to stop. And all the reasons that this whole area has continued to grow over time doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. No. So, <clears throat> PJ, you know, I usually ask, you know, could you give our listeners advice on how to avoid a bad deal? But I'm going to get more specific with that question here today. Could you give our listeners advice on how to avoid a bad deal as a limited partner? So if they're looking to invest passively as a limited partner, how do they avoid doing a bad deal? That's a great question. I, we talked about it a few minutes ago. I think first and foremost, this has to start with the operator. Mm-hmm. And I believe that when you invest as a limited partner, you need to really get a good understanding of who the general partner is. Make sure there's an alignment in values. Mm-hmm. Make sure you think this is a, you know, it, it's stupid to say, but like, is this a smart person who, if things get tough, can navigate, right? I mean, everyone has looked like a genius buying apartments for the last 10 years in Texas. If you are, if you are investing with, with an operator who's been buying for the last 10 years in Texas, everyone's going to be able to show great returns. So recent performance is not the only thing to look at. I think you have to look at um, how does this person philosophically look at risk? And when I talk about risk, I'm talking about their debt strategy. Like what kind of loans does this person want to get on this property? Um, When do they think we can sell this property? What are they assuming we can sell this property for? If If we're buying the property at a four cap today, um, and we're projecting that in the year 2027, we're going to sell the property at a four cap. I think there's risk there that's not being accounted for. I think that personally, based on the interest rate environment we're in, um, we should be pricing you know, at least a percent, maybe a percent and a half. And I think you could make the argument that we should be pricing in a 2% increase in cap rates to be safe. We're, we're buying deals at four caps today. And we're building our pro forma around a six cap exit. Now, I personally don't think it's going to happen. I, I I think we're looking at a eighteen to twenty four month um, debt environment that's really challenging. I personally think that the inflation is going to get reeled in, and then you know over the following few years, the market will normalize and and kind of take off again, and we'll be back to a world where multifamily trades between a four and a five cap. I personally think that's what's going to happen. But to be safe, (laughs) I'm building in pricing in my model that says it's a six cap. Um, Because I I, I don't want to have to call my friends and my family and my longtime investors who put money in these deals alongside us and say, 
we were just wrong. We, we, we were too bullish. We were too optimistic. And Jordan, I mean, I'm a young guy, like I'm, I'm 31 years old. I plan to be doing real estate investing for the next 40 or 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't afford, um, you know, a massive L associated with my name at this point. And so, um, it's a long way of saying, I think you've got to avoid people who don't underwrite conservatively, but everybody's going to tell you they underwrite conservatively. It comes down to understanding some of these assumptions, looking at the model and, and making your own assessment. Like, is this conservative enough for my taste? Um, I also think, you know, even as an LP, you have an expertise and you have things that you know about and believe in, in the real estate market, or you wouldn't be considering this as an investment. And I think leaning into that, um, knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know is really important. So if I wanted to make an investment as an LP today, and I lived in Austin, Texas, and I believe in this whole Texas growth story that we're talking about here, and I get a call from somebody who's, who's putting a deal together in Raleigh, North Carolina, just because I see on fastest growing small cities that rally is hot doesn't mean it's a great idea to go put money in that deal. Now it could be an awesome deal, but it could be a great idea, but knowing what you know is important. And I think if you stay in your lane and say, look, I, I like San Marcos. I believe in what's happening there. I like a college town investment. I like the growth of Austin's story. So even just eliminating some of those risks, I think will help you. Um, and I will also, it goes without saying, don't put more money in a real estate syndication than you can afford to lose. I mean, yeah. it's, there's no reason, especially in this late 2022 environment, there's no reason to like try to hit a massive home run and go all in and risk it all right now. This is, this is time, in my view, to take a little bit of risk off the table, continue to invest intelligently. Um, and keep some some dry powder for what I think is coming, and that is a little bit more opportunity over the next couple of years. Absolutely, and I think you know it, another thing I would add there too is you, if you're talking to this operator and, you, and there's something you don't understand, ask the question, and they need to be able to answer your questions or point you to somebody that can, maybe somebody else who's invested in the deal. And there's so many pieces to investing in an apartment syndication that maybe you don't understand cap rates, you don't understand rent growth assumptions and all these different things that people are plugging into their calculator there. And you, you look over the pro forma and say, I don't, I don't get that. Ask that question. Don't feel bad about that. It's your money. You know, you need to protect your money. So that's a, that's a really good point. And I also piggybacking off of that, Jordan, like, have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. So the person needs to be really responsive to you. Yeah. The, the operator should, when they're trying to raise money from you, like you should be able to get a hold of them within a couple of hours. And everybody has things going on. If they're on vacation or something for a couple of days, it's not a big deal. But if you're having to chase this person for details or they tell you they're going to send you the deck and then they don't, 
just like little little attention to detail things in the capital raising stage, I think are a good indicator of how on it somebody is. Mm-hmm. So like I've looked at some decks where there's typos, you know, throughout the pitch deck. And in the back of my mind, as as an LP investor, if you can't <laughs> if you can't spell check the pitch deck um, and make it look great, um, I don't have as much confidence that you can navigate a challenging debt environment if if the economy goes to to shit, right? <laughs> so um, I just think that you pay attention to your gut. Um, yeah. And if something feels a little off, if something feels like this person doesn't really care about my money, go find somebody who does. Because um, when you need them and when you need some help and we need to understand something, you need that person to answer the call. Absolutely. And I think what you said there, where if if they're not responding to you when they're trying to raise money from you, how do you expect them to respond from to you after they've already gotten the money? Right. It's like the it's like the first date, right? Yeah. If you're not impressed with your partner on the first date, you're really not going to like them in five years. <laughs> that's a great analogy. I think it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's an amazing analogy. So that's an advice for newer investors looking at uh, being a passive investor in a multifamily syndication is. If you're not just blown away with this person talking to them and you're able to get a hold of them and they answer your question thoroughly and quickly, probably not the re- the best investor for you. It doesn't mean they might not be the best person ever, but how are you going to know that? Because they're not showing you that right away. Yep, I agree. Awesome. Um, so I'm sure you talk to a lot of newer investors. What would you say the biggest question is that you get from a a first time passive investor? I mean, everybody wants to, on the first conversation, everybody wants to like understand for a, for a newer investor, like, how does this work? Like, what am I signing? Right? Like, is there a legal agreement here or am I just like sending you money and hoping for the best? So there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of um, learning in this space that people just, people who haven't invested in, in private placements don't understand just functionally how this works. Like, is this a stock? Like, is this money guaranteed? Uh, you know, just how all this comes together. Like, could I get sued by sending you money? Like, so, so first things first, people just want to understand how does this all work? And I think, um, have, you know, investing with an operator who can explain that really clearly to you, um, is important. Understand exactly legally what we're doing here that we have really, you know, professional SEC lawyers who, um, put this all together in a, in a, class a professional way so i think that's the first thing um you know i everybody wants to know like when do i get my money right like do you send me money every month do you send me money quarterly is this money all at the end um and i think that's important right like i can everybody has a different investing objective and i can show you two deals that have a 20 percent irr and are both five-year deals but one deal could be cash flowing the whole time and i could be sending you checks four times a year mm-hmm. and the other one could be zero dollars along the way and all on the back end yeah and one isn't necessarily better than the other honestly it's just depending on what you want make sure you understand like their plan how they how they're going to return capital to you how often you should hear from them um when you can expect reporting those kinds of things um you know and, and i think too it, there are there are great aspects to these investments 
um, from a tax perspective um, that you want to make sure this operator understands. And so, um, you know, an investor should be able to get a really quick answer from the op, from the GP, from the operator, um, how this is going to impact their tax bill. And if you can't, you should probably find somebody who can, ex who can explain that from my perspective. Sure. I really like the piece you talked about on how you're paid back, because that's something I didn't think about as much when I first started investing in syndications. And the first one I invested in, they paid me every month, almost right away. You just started paying immediately and it was monthly, started getting those checks. And they weren't big checks, but I got to see that coming in. I got that uh, that little taste every month and it felt, felt good. How fun yeah. is that, right? Like when I made my first investment as an LP and I started getting uh, mine were quarterly distributions. I mean, that cup, you know, that thousand bucks um, that came in every quarter that I had kind of forgotten was going to come was like my favorite, my favorite thing of the month. Yeah. No, it's like uh, a piece of candy when you're not expecting it. It's, yeah. it's great. But I think that's great advice to understand how it comes, understand how often, understand what, what can, how can you expect to, to get paid? You know, are you paid? I get most of my payments. I'm in a couple passive investments. Most are just direct deposit. You know, they're into my account, ACH. Some are checks. Um, just being honest, I enjoy the direct deposits better. I don't like the, even the, the extra little work of cashing that check. No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, um, yeah, it, the, the partner, the operating partner, the GP should be making your life pretty easy as an LP. And I think that's the, the beauty of that, right? Like mm -hmm. this should be DocuSign. This should take me 10 minutes and I got to wire you the money. And, it, you know, that's the beauty of, of being an LP is, is somebody should be taking care of this for you uh, and make this something that fits really easy, you know, seamlessly into your lifestyle. Love it. Yeah, and I think yeah. understanding all those pieces is really a huge piece of being a passive investor and can help you feel a lot more comfortable because you're just saying, hey, I'm giving all my money to PJ and I'm never going to see him again. That's That can be nervous, nerve-wracking. Yeah, yeah. So PJ, sounds like y'all are doing a lot of really cool stuff between Dallas and San Antonio here, but what's next for you? What What are the long-term goals for the business and for yourself? Yeah, um, it's a good question. We we want to grow a really big portfolio of of multifamily. So we currently sit at about three thousand units today uh, as a company, and our and our company is called Texun, um, T E X S U N. And you know, I look. What does that number look like when we grow it? I'm not sure. Is it is it ten thousand? Probably. I mean, I, so we're we're going to continue to acquire. Um, as many apartment deals as we can get to make sense. And, and we believe in, um, we're going to be cautiously bullish is the way I like to talk about this environment. We, you know, we're still buyers today. We have a deal under contract in San Antonio. We are chasing a few deals in Dallas. We're underwriting a couple new deals in Austin this week. We're going to continue to look at deals. Um, we're just going to be really careful about the debt assumptions. Um, and we're going to make sure there's a really strong story uh, as we're entering what what we believe is going to be a you know a, a challenging eighteen to twenty four months, um, so we're gonna we're gonna keep buying apartments and um, we're gonna look for we're gonna look for the right deals in the markets we believe in, um, and then after that I'm not sure 
Um, you know, we're, 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 we're not buy and hold investors. I mean, everything we have purchased has, you know, call it a four to seven year business plan built into the deal. So, you know, as we, as we go full cycle on some deals and, and execute our business plan, uh, and sell over the next few years, um, you know, we'll have some new capital to, to recycle, but, um, you know, we're just, we're excited about the space. We're excited about the region. Um, and we're going to continue to buy where we think it makes sense. So, um, for me personally, uh, I love it here in Austin. I think I'll, um, for the rest of my life do, do business here in Austin, Mm -hmm. um, and, and in the surrounding communities. And, and even as I get older and, you know, maybe spend time in other places, this is a, this is a, a, an awesome business friendly climate and a great place to live and, and hang out. Um, and so I'll, you know, I'll be in Austin as much as I can. Love it. And the Longhorns are here. So yeah. every fall, um, there will be, uh, you know, plenty of football games to get to. Absolutely. And I like what you said about, you know, you like the asset class and you like the region. You know, Texas is growing like crazy and people need a place to live in Texas when they're moving here from other places or they just need a place to live in general. So apartments are a place to live. Texas is growing like nuts. So not a bad place to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we believe in it. So what about you, Jordan? What are you investing in? Uh, I am doing some, like I said, some passive investing in multifamily syndications, mostly single family homes here in, well, sorry, do, small multifamily here in Austin, some single family in San Antonio. I'm actually running to check on one that I think we're going to have under contract and will only go if we have it under contract here after this and some single family in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm from. But oh, cool. I'm going to continue to do all that and just see where it takes me. I think similar to you, I'm not in a hurry and I enjoy what I'm doing. And I, every day is awesome. And I like being in Austin. So Jordan Moorhead here. Really quickly, wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. Yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, I like you said, not being in a hurry, I think is key. I can't remember if I said it earlier, but patience uh, is a hard thing. And this is not a get-rich-quick business. I mean, the real estate investing business is... Uh, I can't remember who said it, but it's like a get rich for sure business, but it just takes a while. Like if you stay consistent with investing in, in real estate, um, you, you will become wealthy. It just, it could take 40 years. Right. And so, um, not being in a hurry, not, not getting, you know, chasing a high return on paper and doing something stupid will, will save you, um, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of headache, um, and just kind of stick with the plan and, and keep investing, I think is, is my, is my strategy. Absolutely. That consistency is so important. Yeah. TJ, do you have, I really like what you said there, the consistency and persistency. This kind of leads me to my next question. Do you have a favorite uh, business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? Cause that, that was a whole lot of mindset right there. Hey, just be patient, stay consistent, plan for the long term. Where'd you learn this that? is this is super embarrassing. I, I mean, I, reading is not my thing, Jordan. Like okay. I, I, I could tell you that, um, you know, 
uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki is like my mentor. I go on, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Everybody says like, oh yeah, you know, I'm Robert Kiyosaki. Like he got to listen to this. I've listened to a lot of business books on audible. Um, I, I have a shorter attention span. So I have some podcasts that have been really impactful to me currently. I love the all in podcast. It's not a real estate podcast, but I love those guys. You know, they're, um, they're, they're VC guys. They're, they're up to date with uh, politics. They're up to date with current events. Um, I think they think about the economy and just doing deals in a really interesting way. So I, I would recommend that one. And then, you know, I, getting back to like mentorship and coaching, you know, it's not as much a part of my life right now, but, um, I got really interested during COVID in, um, real estate investing with Michael Blanc, his podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I actually went through their mentorship program. It's now called financial freedom with real estate investing is, is his book and podcast. But, um, you know, that was, there's a lot of mindset there, but that was for me, uh, a little bit more, you know, n- nuts and bolts of how to put a real estate syndication together. Um, so those would be a couple of podcasts that, that made a big difference, but, man, I don't, I don't do a lot of reading. I don't, I don't, I wish I could tell you that like, I've got five business books that will change your life, but, uh, but I, I don't. That's a good podcast. So do he, Michael Blanc is a really good guy. He's actually in GoBundance. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's got a lot of great content. He's been doing that podcast for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I, again, I stumbled into it like during the beginning of lockdown, when I was like out, you know, walking my dogs and looking for any shred of new content, right. There was like no sports, there was no new TV. It was, it was dicey there. Um, and I discovered his stuff and really, really liked it. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's a good, good one right there. And I love the all in podcast too. PJ, what's the best way people can get a hold of you or follow you? You can follow me on Instagram. It's at PJCam, P-J-K-A-M. You're going to see a lot of fly fishing and and not a whole lot of like real estate and motivational stuff, but um, you're more than welcome to follow me and I'll give you a follow back. Um, you can shoot me an email. It's PJ at TexSunHoldings.com, T-E-X-S-U-N Holdings.com. Um, you can add me on Facebook. Um, I'm not there that often, but um, if you shoot me an email or, or follow me on Instagram, you can find me. You all have a web, you have, I'm sure you have a website too. Yeah, yeah. We have a website, techsunholdings.com. Okay. We, we operate that like one of these, uh, you know, slightly private um, real estate operators. So you won't see a ton on there, but um, you can see a little bit about our mission and, and a little bit about some of our investment criteria there. Cool. Awesome. And we'll have all this in the show notes for everybody too, just so they can follow PJ, look at techsunholdings.com. PJ, most important question I ask here, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Okay, so this is this is a big deal to me. Um, food and restaurants are are um, you know, I don't know, a, a part of my life, I guess you could say. So I can't I can't limit it to one. Mm-hmm. So I can give you a short list of my favorite kind of must-do places in Austin, and that would be um Vespaio, Italian restaurant in South Congress is always solid i've never had a bad meal there and i've been eating there for 10 plus years um <laughs> red ash awesome yeah. i love abba you know kind of mediterranean on south congress it's impossible to get in but if you get the reservation it's awesome um i like ranch 616 for just like a really fun downtown 
they invented the ranch water allegedly and as a really? tequila drink as a tequila drinker um they make a great one and then matt's el rancho for tex-mex like whenever i have people in town it's like matt's el rancho ranch 616 are just really fun spots yeah i've not been to ranch 616 i'll have to check it out love matt's el rancho love uh red ash too and abba is also really good Had a great that's time. great that's great Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here today, PJ. Again, if anybody wants to reach out to PJ, it's at PJ Cam on Instagram or PJ at TexSunHoldings.com. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you so much. Talk to you here soon.